As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show for Thursday, April 6th. Derek Unriper, Richard here. Eno Saris out this week. He is enjoying some time in New York, being a tourist in New York, which is probably even more fun if you've lived there. He lived there for a little while, so he's seeing the sights in a way in which I don't think he ever did when he lived there, Britt. Yeah, um, from what I can tell on the internet, he is eating a lot of sandwiches and drinking a lot of beer. So in other words, for Eno, it's a random Wednesday. Yeah, he's just doing that in a different location. That's <laughs> Eno being Eno, enjoying life to the fullest. So on this episode, we are going to discuss the first week with these new rules in the books. A lot of observations. We're going to have some overreaction theater, which will include plenty of actual observations. The overreaction theater aspect of this sort of pokes fun at other baseball media outlets for their coverage, to be completely honest. Uh, so lots of stuff to get to today. Uh, Britt, you wrote about the new rules as a a possible change in the legacy of the commissioner, Rob Manfred, who is not always a popular character on the episodes of the 3-0 show that we do. And (laughs) this sort of gives him a chance to rewrite his legacy at the very least, right? Instead of being a commissioner of labor strife and contracting the minor leagues and uh, negative things that he's done during his tenure, this could be a thing that brings people back into the game because we're seeing the positives already. Games are coming out. 30 minutes shorter on average. Offense is up, right? Slash lines are up. Stolen bases are way up. And stolen bases are exciting. This is all very good from the outside looking in. I had not thought about it from the Manfred perspective. And then I thought after Theo Epstein was on the show earlier this week that maybe Theo's going to end up getting all the credit for this. And Manfred's still going to be the Manfred that we've thought he was to this point. And this is going to be the beginning of Theo's era controlling the game and shaping the future of baseball. Yeah, I thought about that, too. And by the way, writing something nice about Rob Manfred went over in certain corners about as well as you would expect. Um, I had people demanding to know how much I was paid by MLB to write the article, Um, which, you know, I would think at The Athletic, we've been critical enough that people would realize that uh, no one was paying me to write the article. It came up in a conversation, as I mentioned, uh, with someone in baseball. and We kind of laughed about it. But the more I thought about it, the more it's actually true. I think in 10, 20 years, we're going to look at Rob Manfred's legacy 
and this might be the best thing he does because I think we can all agree that the rule changes have gone much better than anybody could have anticipated. They've been received really well. Um, I think the league's biggest fear was on opening day, having like three or four games decided on a pitch clock violation. And that didn't happen. Um, And so I think what you're seeing is, you know, some grousing still, and there's still going to be some of that, I think for a while, but by and large, people like these rules. So, you know, we're so, I feel like, it's so easy to be negative and, and make fun of the league or the commissioner and question why they do things. And this was a really positive thing. And as for Theo, obviously he had a huge hand in this. However, an important point in 2015, Rob Manfred, when he took over, okay, the pitch clock for use of the Arizona fall league 2015. So well before Theo joined and certainly not just Theo, but Morgan sword is another guy who I feel like didn't get enough credit for, for how this is, this is obviously a huge undertaking. A lot of people are responsible for it, uh, but this is something that the league has had as far back as 2015 in their minds. It just took them this long to implement it. They didn't want to kind of strong arm the players' union, even though technically they could have added it. Manfred had a unilateral ability to do that with one year heads up in the previous labor agreement. Now it's only 45 days in the new labor agreement, but they've kind of softened it by creating that joint. Um, executive like competition committee where they have some players on the committee and then they all kind of talk the changes through. They didn't want to just kind of like stronghold the players and make these changes. I think that's why it got slow played. And that's why it was in the minor leagues tested out for a while. You've got a lot of guys that are in baseball now. It's kind of funny, Derek. So all these minor league guys who are on their first opening day rosters are usually the ones asking veterans, like, what do I do? How do I approach this? Well, it's been the opposite this year. The veterans are like, hey, you played with these rules. What do I do? How do I approach this? So it's been kind of cool. Uh, you know, maybe actually now that I'm talking about it, I should have done a story on it. I should have talked to a bunch of rookies because, you know, it's interesting to get their perspective because to them, they're so comfortable with it. I mean, you saw Anthony, you see Anthony Volpe running all over the place. This is nothing new. It's a bigger stage, certainly. Uh, but these guys know what 15 seconds feels like. You know, they know what the base packs are like. They they know how these new rules are going to kind of equate to the game. And so I think you may see like a lot of these younger guys have really strong years because of that. Yeah, it could be faster adjustments for some players uh, debuting in the big leagues uh, for the first time here in 2023. I was wondering too, after seeing some of the responses about the new rules, the pitch clock in particular, I know Ken Rosenthal wrote for The Athletic about uh, tweaking the pitch clock during the playoffs, potentially. I saw a tweet, I think it was CJ Nikowski from MLB Network Radio, uh, suggesting that maybe in the final inning of a close game, if it's within three runs, the ninth inning, maybe you get rid of the pitch clock in those situations. I think this is something we could see in the future. I don't think it's something we would necessarily see quickly implemented, even though a lot of this is more written in pencil than the typical policy because of the way the league has the ability to make those changes if it wants to. Uh, but I, I like that they're kind of collaborating on this, trying to get more feedback. My general takeaway is leave it alone for the first year. See what happens all the way through the playoffs. Don't mess with the rules ahead of the playoffs. Play with the same rules throughout this season. Don't do what you did a year ago with the uh, sticky stuff crackdown in the middle of the season. I just I don't I don't like tweaking things in the middle of the season. I do think we might reach a point when we're looking at these adjustments where uh, we could maybe go one step further in certain instances. I don't think it would necessarily be the close game threshold. That might be like too too granular, but maybe it is just the late innings. Maybe it's the seventh inning and later, or uh, we find other little ways to 
make the most important parts of the game flow the way they've always been meant to flow. That being said, I like this a lot. And I think if we hadn't talked and written so much about it, I think if it had just been changed sort of behind the scenes, other than the awkwardness of the pitch clock violations themselves when you could see something is clearly happening at the plate, I don't think most people would really even notice. They'd have that that little voice in their head saying, oh, that game went by kind of quick. Oh, it seemed like those teams were running a lot. But they wouldn't have a reaction equal to the actual impact that we've seen so far. And all of these, all these things are good. The only thing I'm worried about, Britt, if we go through this season and pitching injuries go through the roof, we have to pull back a little bit. We have to reevaluate this because you can't, you can't create a set of rules that breaks pitchers faster than we were already breaking them in the previous setup. Yeah. So I talked about this on the radio, actually, because I think that's one of the big potential cons to this is how do the players adapt? And I think that's something that we may even see guys attack, attack the offseason a little bit differently because their their job used to be take as long as you want, throw as hard as you can for about 75 pitches. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. These guys are conditioned now to go about 75 pitches, um, especially at the start of the season. And now you're living your life in these in these 15 second increments. And I was talking to a, a mental strength coach for a big league team yesterday. And he said a, a lot of the big issues is getting these guys used to subconsciously, like knowing what 15 seconds feels like. So they don't feel rushed. So they don't kind of get out of whack and, you know, throw a pitch with a weird delivery or land awkwardly or, you know what I mean? Like a lot of this is just getting used to that's it. This is my rhythm. This is my tempo. This is it. And it only takes 12 seconds every single time. And that might take longer than the six weeks of spring training. That may take months. Guys have been playing for years. Guys have been playing for decades and doing, you know, not having a clock on them. So I also am curious about this. And I think when Ido comes back from break, we're going to chat about it. The velocity thing. We've talked about this on the show before. Um, you know, I lift weights, a uh, big power lifter. If I'm lifting my maximum squats, 270 pounds on the bar, I can do that one time, but then I need five, six, seven minutes to recover, right? If I'm lifting a hundred pounds, I can do that once 15 seconds later, do it again. So now are these guys going to take a few miles per hour off on their fastballs because they, their body, their arms, they simply can't recover. They can't flush the lactic acid quick enough to continue to do that for 75 pitches. I'm curious if we're going to see a little bit of velocity drops on guys. And so, you know, the soft tissue injuries have been an issue even before this. We've been through the roof. It's been a historic issue. So uh, my question is, do guys throw bullpens now differently? Do they try to, you know, get rid of the ball quickly? Do they try to mimic that as well? Um, Are there ways to kind of condition yourself better for these, again, these everything now is in these 15-second increments, um, I think the first team that figures out how to maximize that is going to have a massive advantage. I mean, this is now kind of an open season and we're seeing a lot of teams. I think, I don't know how many games you've seen and kind of notice this guys are getting rid of the ball really quickly. In lots of cases, it's not coming even close to the pitch clock. So are they rushing now? Do they feel rushed? Cause it's in their head. Are we going to see guys regress a little bit more to like where they have it down where every time with three seconds to go, they let go right every time. Um, I wonder if we're going to see a little bit more of that because a lot of these guys have tons of time on the clock and I just don't know if they're still kind of feeling their way around things. I was just wondering if I can look at a velo drop this time last year versus now and see, I'd still like to see a full month's worth because weather conditions this early in the season 
fluctuate yeah. a lot from place to place. We do see velo start to increase as the weather changes in every season. Uh, my first thought, though, is that I've been consuming an absurd amount of baseball thanks to having a new board basically keeping me trapped in the house, which is you know, fine. It's all good. It's a good time of year between March Madness and the start of baseball <laughs> season. There's been plenty to watch. So I've seen as much baseball in the first week of this season as I've seen in any year. And I watch a lot of baseball anyway. I haven't noticed a lot of guys pitching at velos lower than we're accustomed to. Like I've got a pretty good eye for that just from all the fantasy stuff I do, staring at fan graphs, digging into this stuff all the time on Savant. It doesn't seem like we're seeing a lot of guys down one or two ticks so far. But the other question is, if you're if you're going faster in each game, is it a progressive decline in velocity? Maybe you hold velocity now. Maybe you fatigue over the course of the season more quickly because the recovery from these outings becomes more challenging the further into the season you go. So perhaps yeah. velocity will be okay maybe through the first half or up and through the All-Star break or into August. And then we're going to see a dip in September or October potentially. Lots of ways this could still play out. So that's why it's yeah. like I'm excited and I'm optimistic and I'm I'm definitely like two thumbs up on it so far, but we can't declare victory yet. We can't fly the W here and say they fixed it. It's just a big step in the right direction. But one more point on the flip side. Yesterday I was talking to Brian Anderson, who used to pitch and is now at the race TV. He thinks it's gonna have the opposite effect. And I, I was curious as to why. He said, think about it. Games are a half an hour shorter. Think of all the less time pitchers are now spending standing on their feet, which don't, people don't realize mm. um, you're using energy. Your, your body is using energy. It's August. It's like a million degrees, a million percent humidity. Now you're not standing out there quite as long. That also has a factor. He thinks that guys may feel a little bit more refreshed once I get the hang of this tempo. Now, I don't, I don't know, but it was like the first person I've heard that has said, listen, games are, are shorter. Guys are going to have more time to less time on the field, more time to sit, relax, recover. All of that builds up. If games are a half an hour quicker a day, how about position players? How many games they play a week? Five, six? You're not talking about hours less on the field? Yeah, it's less wear Does and that, tear on everybody. Yeah. Does that add up? You know, if it's a double header, now it's an hour less. Double headers crush players. Mm-hmm. So I don't, it's, it's really interesting though, isn't it? Like, I, I didn't think about that at all. I don't know if there's going to be any, I don't know if that's going to be correct, but it was an interesting way to look at things from a guy who did play for a long time um, that maybe this will actually help guys. Right. We were not at some sort of efficiency point previously with the pace of play as it pertains to injuries. So perhaps we'll get closer there. Maybe we'll give up some velo and we'll reduce injuries. Maybe that'll be the trade-off. And I think people could live with that because reduced velo probably means even more balls in play, which with the new shift rules, probably leads to a lot more offense. So uh, it's going to be a series of adjustments beyond this season, I think, Britt, but we're headed in the right direction. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's time to overreact to some of the things that have been happening on the field. Because of the new schedule, you are getting a look at the Rays at Nationals Park. You see the Rays yeah. all the time as someone who covers the Orioles and has been around Baltimore in that area for what, more than a decade now. But the Rays, they're 5-0. and And they look, in the early days of the season, like they've got a pretty strong case for being the best team in baseball, which is just a crazy thing that people would say on other shows. But we'd never say something like that on this show. The pitching, though, has really caught your eye, Britt. So what have you yeah. seen in the series so far between the Rays and the Nats? It's just efficiency, and I think people are going to point to the Rays' schedule, and rightfully so, right? They've played Detroit and the Nationals. Um, and I think that they may be a team. Every team is going to benefit from the schedule, probably. But I think they may be a team in particular who benefits because I can tell you, as someone who covered the Orioles for eight years, Having young pitchers, unproven guys constantly go into Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. I mean, those are just exhausting places to pitch. Um, so I think that playing less divisional games is going to help Tampa Bay. But really, Derek, um, I haven't crunched the numbers based off last night, but going into yesterday, they had thir- it was taking them 13.4 pitches to get through an inning, raise starters. That's absurd. <laughs> That's absurd. They attack the strike zone and they trust their stuff and they live in the zone. And, you know, I'm trying to get Kevin Cash to say yesterday what I think, which is this could be the best Tampa Bay Rays rotation ever. Mm. This is their 25th season in existence. The 2012 rotation, if you go back and look, was pretty good. Um, You know, obviously 2008, the year I was actually in Tampa Bay, uh, they had a, you know, a good starting staff. But they, I feel like they always have a good starting staff. But especially when Tyler DeLasno comes back, if they're all healthy, which is a key issue here. Because did you know that the Rays are one of the were one of the top five teams in terms of guys on the IL last year? You know, it sounds right now that you say it. Yeah, I wouldn't have snap guessed it. I'd always wondered how much the surface in Tampa Bay could contribute to something like that. And a wander oh, missed yeah. a lot of time. Part of that's their approach with pitching. I think they, as an organization, they have found that pitchers who've dealt with significant injuries tend to be undervalued in the trade market, and even as maybe potential like scrap heap type free agents, which I don't mean to dehumanize players quite that much, but that's what they do. They bring guys in who've had pretty bad injuries in the past, and usually past injuries a pretty good indicator of future injury. So I'm not stunned by it, but yeah, I think once Tyler Glasnow is back, you're right, they have that case. I think Tyler Glasnow and Shane McClanahan as a 1-2 are about as filthy as any combination you're going to see, especially in the American League, uh, over the course of a playoff series. And they've got this guy, Jeffrey Springs, who's coming on really strong, had a big spring, got the great outing against the Tigers over the weekend, 12 strikeouts, one walk, I think it was mm-hmm. six no-hit innings from him. He's, he's interesting because he doesn't throw particularly hard, but the arsenal's deep. He locates everything really well. And kind of the typical unheralded Ray starter, similar to the mold of, of Zach Eflin in the sense that they gave Eflin that contract, everyone was surprised. They gave Jeffrey Springs an extension, which was pretty surprising because before last year, when he broke into the Rays rotation, Springs was mostly a reliever between Boston and Texas, and he never really had anything working. He never looked like he was going to be an effective big league reliever, let alone a quality big league starter, which, again, points back to you know the Rays, the great work they do in scouting and coaching and development. Mm-hmm. And 
yes, the, the early schedule has obviously helped, and it was tongue-in-cheek to suggest they're the best team in baseball, but they are going to be a force to be reckoned with yet again, and they're doing it on the position player side, too. Yeah, that's the crazy part. Yeah, when, when Luke Rayleigh comes out and has a two-homer game, you know everything's coming up Rays. Yeah, he's been important for them, though. He's a guy to watch for them, I think. And you're right. I was, you know, watching the game last night, and it was like, oh, well, the Rays can't win them all. Then they storm back with a five-run inning. Now, part of that is the Washington Nationals, who may be the worst team in baseball. They're definitely in that top three, um, I think. But this Rays lineup, we always keep saying, like, oh, they don't have the offense. They don't have the offense. They don't have the offense. And they didn't really make any big offensive acquisitions. But when you look at it, Early on, again, this is a tiny, tiny sample size. They've been able to have a ton of offense. They've All their wins have come by four or more runs. I mean, there was a crazy stat today. I retweeted it. You have to go back to the 1800s to find another start like that, which, mm. you know, when you're talking about stats that go back to a decade or, you know, back to the 1800s, then a century, I guess, then you are now, no, two centuries. 1800s. Two. <laughs> two. Two centuries. Um, yeah, then you know you're doing something right. So they're they're going to be right there in the thick of it, which you can probably pencil them in every year. What's crazy, though, is apparently this bothered some people in Tampa. MLB.com did like a top 10 rotations, and they did like rankings of them, and they did it by tiers. The Rays were not in the top tier. How does that even happen? Oh... I don't know. I guess you got to have, if you have too many tiers, you could bump someone down, right? If you had eight tiers instead of four or something, then some tier one teams end up being tier two teams. That's my best explanation. I think there were six. I'd have a hard, you'd be hard pressed to find five rotations projected to be better than Tampa Bay. Well, maybe it was engagement farming. <laughs> maybe. But again, <laughs> I think it's bulletin board material. You know, they're not a team that anyone really ever expects to do well. Uh, but I think a lot of people were slighted by that one in particular. Yeah, and there's one player on the position player side that I'm pretty intrigued by, mostly because it looks like he's going to play close to every day. It's Jose Siri, and Siri was previously in the Astros organization. The Rays acquired him last season. He's got power. He's got speed. If you like Statcast, it's red ink up and down the page. He's tooled up for days. He's just the kind of player that hasn't been able to put those tools into a, a stat line that forces him into the lineup every day. But he's a good enough defender in center field where it looks like the Rays are really going to give him a lot of opportunities. And I'm just curious, given the success they had with Randy Arozarena a few years ago and other players over the years they've acquired and turned into significantly bigger contributors than they were when they brought them in, I wonder what they could do with Siri. If they can make him more patient at the plate or maybe he's the kind of player that ends up being like uh, Adelis Garcia in Texas where Sure, he's going to strike out 30% of the time. And he's only going to walk 5 or 6% of the time, but he's a great defender and he hits the ball really hard when he hits it and he runs well. And who cares? If he's a 250, 300, 480 hitter who could steal bases and play gold glove defense, that's still a good player, even though it's not the, the best slash line that you, you could project for a player. Right. And they have their star, right? They have Wander Franco. So they don't need another star. That, to me, that line right there sounds like a Tampa Bay Rays player. Doesn't it? If you had, we, you didn't know what team we were talking about, and you just read off those stats, it sounds to me like, oh, that's that's a Tampa Bay player. And we know Randy Rosarena shows up in uh, big situations as well. And by the way, the April schedule is pretty nice for the Rays coming up. Yeah. They've got Oakland for a weekend series. They get them at home, and they do see Boston for four, the Jays for three. They go on the road to Cincinnati, 
in the middle of April. So yeah, a couple of really easy series layups that they should make if they want to win the AL East, if they want to get ahead of the Jays and the Yankees and be that team this year. These are the types of games that you should dominate. And they're they're doing what they need to do so far to put themselves in that position. How about another overreaction, Britt? The Mets can't score. Yeah. Max Scherzer's washed up. There's another overreaction. I'm not even going to entertain that one. That's We need two months that look like what we've seen so far before we can have yeah, a conversation totally. about Max Scherzer being washed. Correct. I do not think Max Scherzer is washed, and I'm certain that he was probably incredibly angry after that outing yesterday. Also, how about the Milwaukee Brewers offense? Vaunted offense. Yeah, you brought him up, not me. I mean... Nobody thought they were going they nobody thought they were going to be able to hit. Again, though, this is when the overreaction comes into play because it's been four or five games for most of these teams, five games for most of these teams. Not even a full week worth of games. I love opening day, Derek, but I also get frustrated because there's nothing to analyze yet. It's like fast forward me to May so then I can have a chunk to look at and trends to look at and like guys that I can actually say you're playing well, not like, oh, you had a three hit game and then Nothing. I got nothing to do with that. You know, it's it. You know, you look at a guy like Scherzer and he's always struggled with the home run ball and he's always struggled early. If you if you look at Max Scherzer overall, he's a guy that very often gives up most, if not all of his runs in the first inning. So when the Brewers put that pair up and they went up two to nothing, I was kind of like, all right, you know, watching the game. Yeah, this is going to be, you know, the Mets are going to come back. And I mean, to be fair, this is why that you can't really overreact. There was one inning. Was it the fifth or sixth where the Brewers made three terrific fielding plays and yeah. the Mets just went down one, two, three? Yep. Yeah. There um, was the, yeah. If you saw that inning, what was, inning was that? I think it was the fifth. Christian Yelich almost got hit in the face yes. because he lost the yes. ball on the ribbon board. And then there were yeah. two other really good catches. Uh, Bryce Terang having a, a rookie of the week sort of week here to, to begin the season. Former first round pick. It's not a surprise that he'd be maybe a good big leaguer. I think where people have been overcorrecting. He hit a grand slam in the Brewers' home opener. He's not a power hitter. He's really more of like an 8-10 to 10 homer guy. Going to contribute a lot on the base pass. Going to be a good defender at second base. Probably can hit the ball all over the ballpark and be kind of a good average and OBP sort of guy. If if you expect Bryce Terang to be a suitable replacement for Colton Wong, I think you've got expectations in the exact right place. If you think Bryce Terang is going to be a superstar because he had a great first week, you're probably going to be a little disappointed by what happens in the next 25 weeks. But my question for you, Britt, when you had a problem the previous season and it carries over into the first week, first couple of weeks, first month, I do think it draws a more fair level of criticism. It doesn't mean they won't change. They did make a few adjustments, of course, this offseason, and they have guys, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, who are going to contribute, I think, a significant number of plate appearances to the big league roster this year and make that lineup deeper and probably better. So when you look at this Mets club, are you still looking at them in the same lens offensively as we did a year ago, or do you believe they are improved and it's only a matter of time before they look like a run-producing unit that can at least be on the same level as the other top-end contenders? So I have a really hard time evaluating offenses this early because when you come out of spring training, very well known, the pitchers are ahead of hitters. It's often cold in April. Guys are still kind of finding their rhythm. What concerns me more, so I think the Mets offense, Derek, like in two, three weeks, maybe we have this conversation. I have a better read on where they're at. What I'm most concerned about is Scherzer. Now, I was I was being wildly 
insane in the exaggeration, in the overreaction of he's all washed up. However, he's had two <laughs> shaky starts. But you go back to that, and his last, let's see, one, two, three, four starts, Derek, he has a 7.89 ERA. He's allowed 10 home runs in those four starts. This is dating back, of course, to last season. Um, before that, he gave up 11 homers in the previous 22 starts. So something is not really working for him. He didn't look good. Scherzer, obviously, opening day as well. Um, he really needs to kind of figure it out because this is a Mets team missing Justin Verlander. So Carlos Carrasco had a weird velocity drop. Jose Quintana is going to be out for a little while. Like they need, to me, we can sit here and say, oh, we need more hit. Like the hitters need to get going, and they do. And I think that they will. But I'm most concerned about a rotation in which was headlined by these two stars. One is hurt and one is not pitching well. Twice. Yeah. That that to me is a bigger problem. It has to extend much longer, of course. That, that's the common theme of all these things we're talking about. Nothing, nothing we're bringing up today is the be-all, end-all of the situation. It's just fodder for a, for a podcast and things that people are saying and thinking right now. It's trying to basically talk people back into a place of, hey, it's the first week of April. There's still some time. Let things play out. I saw some of those reactions on this news item. Eloy Jimenez down with a hamstring strain, probably a two to three week injury. It's the other hamstring, Britt. It's not the same as the one he hurt last year, but it's a hamstring those nonetheless. Watch- <laughs> those watching on YouTube, I'm just shaking my finger because to me, this isn't an overreaction. The guy can't stay healthy and the White Sox in general, it must be the regular season. There's a prominent White Sox star on the IL. I mean, this team can't catch a break. Can they? I think it's just random eh? bad luck. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's an organizational deficiency yet. If all the same guys who were hurt last year are down with similar ailments again this year, we can circle back around on that. And I see the Twins just staying in the same division for a moment, being careful with Byron Buxton in the early days of the season. He's been DHing a lot. I think he got a day off already, and I think that bothers some people. But trying to do it the way they've done it in the past, trying to push guys out there in a full capacity role when year over year over year, a combination of bad luck and injuries have cost them significant time. Doing the same thing again seems like a mistake, right? If you if you have to give Byron Buxton every fifth day off to begin the season for the first two months and then it becomes like every fourth day through the middle of the summer, he's still going to track to probably have a career high in plate appearances. His career high in plate appearances is 511. If the Twins get 511 plate appearances from Byron Buxton this year, they're going to be oh. ecstatic. And I think I think yeah. there's some similarities, even though they're very different in terms of the skills they bring as players. I think the White Sox have a similar mindset with Eloy Jimenez, where it's sort of like, if it takes extra maintenance just to make sure that we can get him to 130, 135 games, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll take those sacrifices. We'll make those adjustments because we'd much rather get to that 500 plate appearance marker than fall short and get 300 because we aimed for 650. I think that's something that fans still have a hard time with that. They just don't they don't always wrap their minds around the load management aspects of, of any sport. This, this is You hear load management a lot around the NBA, but it's a thing in baseball. Guys get days off. There's a reason why you have extra players in your roster. It's because guys get hurt and because guys need rest. And we'll see how this plays out with the new rules like we said earlier. But as frustrating as it is for Eloy Jimenez, this is a guy that's mostly a DH who's had a lot of injuries, who's been a great hitter on a per-plate appearance basis when he's been out there, has a lot of power. I think he's shown the ability to get on base even more than we'd seen earlier in his career. 
I still have a really high ceiling for him. I think hopefully for his sake, it's just a small setback for what will be otherwise a full breakout season. Yeah, I'm I'm going to stay positive. I'm, I, I'll focus with you. Although, again, to me, it just reads very much like I've seen this movie before. Um, <laughs> but I will continue to be optimistic about this and not overreact. But if we're going to overreact, did you watch the Marlins game last night or did you blink and miss it? Because it was 157 game time. <laughs> it was very fast. Kenta Maeda pitched well. Sandy Alcantara pitched well. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Talk about, I mean, that guy looks like a Cy Young candidate again. Mm-hmm. Um, again, early overreaction. But that game, I, I was, again, this is what's tough about this time of year is I'm trying to get my bearings to all these different teams. So I'm just like flipping back and forth. Uh, you know, I put the, the Mets game on when it was it saw it two to nothing. And then I was like, eh, go back, go to the Brewers game, go to the Orioles game in Texas. We're going to get to the Orioles, by the way. They've been a little bit of a story. Um but you look at Miami, and if they pitch like that, they can hang with anyone. Yeah, they can. But they also, like the Mets, are having a similar problem what they had last season. Right now, the Marlins have scored 10 runs this season. 10. Yeah. <laughs> it's only, I know it's only been a week, but you have to be nervous. Yeah. They've struck out in 31.7% of their plate appearances. Whew. Yeah, so they're pretty bad offensively. And when you look at what they did over the course of the winter... It's hard to see them being a lot better. They didn't necessarily get a big impact player to turn this around or to help turn this around. So uh, I'm worried that they're going to be very similar to last year. Great pitching, maybe solid defense. I just don't know where the the extra offensive production is going to come from for the Marlins this year. Right. So what you're saying is they have to win games one to nothing like they did Tuesday. <laughs> that is a very <laughs> tough road to go down. And yeah. Um, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But back to their starting pitching, back to their starting pitcher. I mean, this guy doesn't get enough credit because he's in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was only putting, I was going back and forth. I was trying to catch the, the, when he pitched, I was trying to catch that, but you know, it, it's impossible. I need multiple screen. I need the multiple screen set up this year. I think it's just too tough. They're all on commercials on the same time. It feels like. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know what you got going, but I can't just watch on one TV this year. I think I, I need the, I need the duel. Yeah. So you got a couple options, right? So this is a good question to put out there. How do you watch multiple <laughs> games at the same time? You have the options now because you get the beginning. You do. Beginning is out there. Not, not beginning, but big inning. And that jumps around, does the channel changing for you. Uh, there are some nights MLB network has their desk people jumping around, flying around from game to game. That can be pretty good if you don't really have any one particular game you want. If you have MLB TV on your laptop and you you know, use technology to put that onto your TV, then you can do multi-view games really easily. That's to me, that's the that's the best choice. If you yeah, have the tech ability so? to do it, yes, I, I think big enough TV, get four games going at once, easy to change them as they end, no problem there. Uh, easy to change just to which sound you're getting if commercials come on, very very convenient. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job 
job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. How has your viewing priority changed with the Orioles especially? How far up in the watchability ratings have they come just in the past year? I mean, they got Grayson Rodriguez coming up and debuting. We're recording this just before that debut. We're going to stop so we can go watch it. So Grayson Rodriguez is up. And of course, Gunnar Henderson was up last year. Adley Rutschman was up last year. They had a pretty fun opening series with the Red Sox. Grayson Rodriguez is sort of the beginning of some young pitching. DL Hall should be up again later this year to contribute, hopefully in the rotation. My only issue with the Orioles is that their pitching generally isn't great. So if you love pitching, they're not necessarily a team you're you're seeking out. But if you want to watch exciting young players, I think the Orioles are creeping closer to that top 10 of games or teams that you're prioritizing on a day-to-day basis if you're kind of just casually jumping around. Yeah, I listen, because I live in this area, if they're watchable, I'm going to watch them. Um, I like knowing what's going on with them. It's tough, though. Like, as a national writer, there's so many games it's overwhelming, you know, when you're trying to figure out who to watch all the time. I will say that I, I often go by who's starting for teams. But obviously, with the Orioles, I'm going to be at opening day tomorrow. They play the Yankees for their home opener. Um, so I have been paying a little extra attention to what's going on there. I also, what I do a lot of times in the morning, and I don't know if this interests people, who, but People may be rushed in the morning, have actual jobs. They have to go to work in the morning. I watch the condensed games on MLB TV because they give you more than the highlights, Mm -hmm. but not nearly as long. They're like five minutes, not nearly as long as an actual game. And then you can really catch up. Like I was watching the Seattle um, Angels uh, condensed game this morning. God, Seattle. Let's talk about fun young teams. Seattle's got to be up there as well. I mean, first off, they absolutely obliterated the Angels. in the in the game last night but also because of where i live on the east coast i often can't stay up and watch those teams i think seattle is such a such a fun team uh the orioles are certainly fun to me a big question around the orioles is like when are they gonna supplement these young guys with free agents and really contend right are they better than toronto are they better than tampa are they better than the yankees on paper no uh you know the red sox are a mess and I wish more people were upset about that because it seems like everyone's just okay with the Red Sox being okay. And like 10 years ago, that would never have happened, right? I don't see any outrage for the Red Sox who are just like thrilled to be 500 if they get there. Um, yeah. And I, I don't really know why that is. I think it's localized outrage. I think fans are are furious in Boston. I think the rest it's of us not, are. Though. 
It's not. I talked to someone at the Globe yesterday and it's like, eh, whatever. People don't, don't care. care. Look, the Bruins are really good right now. Maybe that's taking some yeah. of the heat off the Red Sox. Maybe. But like, isn't it just weird in baseball when the Red Sox aren't good? For the earlier part of my fanhood, I wanted them to break their curse. And, you know, I, I was kind of like pro Red Sox, like getting it done in a way that was exciting, right? The first time they won was 2004 now. I was excited about that when they, when they broke the, the curse of the Bambino, right? Now, I've got so much Boston fatigue, I don't care if they're bad. Like, I, I really don't. Like, I've, and I've seen, <laughs> I've seen their best players in the key spots. Right? I don't have a, a Mike Trout complex about Raphael Devers. We've seen Raphael Devers play in the postseason. And yeah. we've seen him win in the postseason. So I, I just I, I have no one on that roster I feel bad about or feel bad for. I've seen that team win enough. Like they they can go away for ten years and come back, and, and then we can have another conversation about the the Red Sox being bad for too long. But if they're down for a year or two, no sympathy from me. Sorry. A, a year or two? I feel like there are certain teams that should just always be going for it, and the Red Sox should be one of them. Oh, they are, but they're just they're just not doing a great job of going for it. But tr- they're trying, but their their try is not good enough. Are they really trying though? Yeah. What? Like when was the last? All they did was make. Like when was the last trade that went their way? That's what I'm saying. They're, they they tried and they failed. They did some dumb <laughs> like stuff over and over and over again. They don't deserve to contend, Britt. A- they made stupid decisions and they're paying the consequences for it. They deserve this. They deserve well, every bit of this mediocrity they're going through right now. But what happened to the Red Sox team that would just buy free agents all the time? It's yeah. not there. I wonder if John Henry is just who owns a million other things and teams is just like. Since when are the purse strings this tight in Boston, right? Yeah, it's true. It's odd. It's very odd. Like the Cubs were like that for a while, but the Cubs spent money like what, like two hundred fifty million or something this winter around there. So I don't know how we got on this topic, but it was something that's been really bothering me. It's like why don't more people care that Boston's not really trying to be good? I think it just happens though, where you've got let's say you've got six big big market teams. They're not all always good at the same time. Between like the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Angels theoretically should count as part of this. The Cubs, the Red Sox, oh, yeah. the White Sox always get a pass on this. Historically, they have anyway, and the Angels have historically got a pass on this for being a big no, market the Do- team. The Dodgers. Just imagine if the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets were just like marred in mediocrity and not even spending. It happens you spend and you're not good, but it doesn't. It doesn't often happen that these teams don't try for a prolonged period. Yeah, they're like just, they're just one foot in. They deserve this right now, and that's the problem. You can't be wow. one foot in. So, I don't know. I, I feel I feel no, absolutely no sympathy for the Red Sox. I wow. never will. Uh, by the way, what are your expectations for Grayson Rodriguez? <laughs> this is going to air after he pitches. I know it's one fifty three Eastern as we're I'm asking this question. So it's just before his big league debut. How many innings? The Texas's lineup. Yep. Four, four innings. Five. Okay. So yeah. five if things are going on. How many strikeouts? Uh, six, six K's walks. Three, three runs. <sighs> well, I don't think he goes that deep. So I think four runs, three earned. Ooh. Yeah, Listen, I, I think he's going to be very good, but I also think this is so tricky because it's whatever I say is going to be absolutely wrong by the time this runs. Um, Michael Elias said in spring training, he's not ready yet. I did not see the Orioles in spring training, but I've talked to multiple people who were there who agreed with the decision hmm. who said he didn't look ready. 
They're calling him up now because of Kyle Bradish's injury and because it's his turn in the minor leagues. This isn't a promotion of the top prospect because he's been dominating at AAA. So I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be a huge part of their future. But anyone who expects him to go out and throw like eight scoreless up on a very good Texas lineup, again, maybe I look like an idiot when this <laughs> airs. What do you think? That's a, good, that's a reasonable line for expectations. Could be strikeouts, you know, with with some hard contact, with some mistakes. I think it's interesting because if he pitches well, he probably gets another turn. If he struggles, they will find someone else to make that start. They'll use someone out of the bullpen who's a little more stretched out. They'll find some other workaround. And the schedule as far as when they need a fifth starter next could be a factor in all that too. But if he pitches well, they have to change their tune a little bit, right? I think they have to keep him up until he gives them a reason to send him back down. If he pitches well in this debut. It just seems like it's on, a start by, it's on a start-by-start basis right now because of what they said in spring training. Because you're right, he didn't he didn't get a chance to even prove them wrong in Triple A yet. Yeah. Really, it's it's been right. It's been a week. What do you what do you what do, what is good enough though to stay around? I would say four plus innings of two runs or less would be fine because that's that's sort of the baseline what you can get when you take someone out of your pen. Like if you throw Austin Voth and stretch him out for 50, 60 yeah. pitches, that's sort of like the best case scenario that you can realistically hope for from players like that. So if Rodriguez comes in and does something like that, that's good enough to go again. And I hope they're I hope they're still looking at him in the correct long-term lens. I really do, because as you said, he's a huge part of their future, and he's been frequently discussed because his omission from the opening day roster was very, very surprising. Got one last story on the way out the door, Britt. I saw this one on The Athletic. From Brendan Cutie, the Yankees are having trouble with uniform numbers because they've retired too many of them, and they're yeah. considering having the coaching staff no longer wear numbers on their uniform. It's the thing that they may petition the league to eventually do this, and it got me going down the rabbit hole of how ridiculous I think the tradition of managers wearing a player's uniform really is. It goes back to the player-manager era forever ago, so I understand why they have it, but when you see managers now, it's usually, almost certainly, a hooded sweatshirt over the jersey anyway, if they're even wearing the jersey underneath. Who knows? Let's get to the bottom yeah. of that story. How many managers aren't even wearing the uniform anymore? That's too many layers. You want something yeah. breathable. You want the breathable three-quarter sleeve sweatshirt that has no other function in society other than for being a baseball manager. That is a shirt designed for one specific <laughs> job. But if you're going to wear that anyway, it doesn't matter if you have a number on your jersey or not. So I think the Yankees, the, their first world problems are actually leading us to a change that is long overdue. Let's stop forcing managers to wear the actual player's uniform. You want to wear one? Fine. Wear whatever you want. But they don't usually wear it anyway. Yeah. And the coaches, too. Is there a need for this? Do they need? And again, they could also have blank jerseys. Do they need numbers? Why do they need? It would look weird with no number on it, though, right? Yeah. You're so because used you're to seeing a number on it. it. Yeah, you, yeah, it'd be so jarring. It. Oh, they did slap um, an ad on there or something. Oh, don't don't give them a blank. Don't give them a blank canvas to put stuff on. Or do they just have like what the manager's wearing? Why can't they just wear that? Yeah, whatever comfortable long sleeve sweatshirt, whatever. Yeah. Just wear yes. that. I mean, I covered Buck obviously forever, and he used to say like in no other sport. Like imagine. If in football you go to the sidelines and the guy's got full pad, like you know what I mean? Bill Belichick's wearing full Patriots gear. Like, come on. Even just a and jersey. In hockey, 
they wear suits. They get all dressed up in hockey. Not yeah. that they should wear suits for baseball, because obviously with the dirt, let me just tell you, I've ruined <laughs> tons of shoes myself. Um, but, you know, it's just a weird because it's the only sport where they do that. Yeah. Imagine Tom Izzo wearing a pair of basketball shorts. I don't want to imagine that. I don't want to picture that. <laughs> I don't want to picture basketball <laughs> coaches wearing basketball uniforms. It just it's yeah, it's not uh, palatable. So I, I would no, pass on that. Yeah. Great story, though. He's doing a great job. If, if you're a Yankees fan, you really should be checking out. We have two new beat writers this year, and they, I've, I've really enjoyed all the stuff that they've been putting out there. Yeah, a lot of great stories out. And we got a new newsletter. Levi Weaver, Ken Rosenthal are putting that out each and every day, so you can grab that uh, from The Athletic. It's just it's free. You'll see it out there. It's on the, the header right now. So sign up for that. Have it delivered right to your inbox each and every day. Uh, if you'd like a subscription to The Athletic, it's a dollar a month for the first year. You can't really beat that price. So theathletic.com slash baseball show will bring you to that offer. You can find Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We are off to go watch Grayson Rodriguez. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. With the 3-0 show, you always have the green light. I stole Eno's line. Green light.